If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 9, 2020. The podcast that let go of its hat. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's tetrachromatize the news of the bogus. Cancel culture is real, and it's a big problem. Not only is it bad when prominent figures beloved by many get kicked out of social media just for their political views, and even worse, get fired or miss out on job opportunities, and even can have their personal lives wrecked, the chilling effect is that so many more people fail to speak up because they're afraid that it might happen to them. That's the subject of a new survey from the Cato Institute, which found that 62% of Americans are afraid to share their political views. That's a supermajority of Americans, afraid to share their views because of a vocal minority of bullies who have no qualms about engaging in character assassination merely because they disagree politically. This is up from 58% in 2017, so the problem is growing, and the breakdown is interesting. 77% of self-identified Republicans are afraid to share their views, 59% of independents are, and even 52% of Democrats. Yes, even Democrats, the majority of whom are moderates, are afraid of backlash from the cancel squad. In fact, strong liberals are the only political group who feel free to express themselves. 58% of them feel comfortable speaking out, but over half of more moderate liberals feel they have to self-censor. It doesn't seem to matter, though, if you're a conservative or a strong conservative. Once you're that far to the right, the fear is pretty much maxed out at 77%. It also affects people across Democratic groups. Although 64% of white Americans feel they can't speak out, 65% of Latinos feel the same way, and even 49% of African Americans. It's 65% of men and 59% of women, 60% of people making over $100,000, and 58% of people making less than 20, 55% of people under 35, and 66% of people over 65, 71% of the religious, and 56% of the non-religious. So really, who's left to speak out other than a bunch of spoiled socialist suburbanites? This survey wasn't just about people's fears, though. They asked them who they thought should be fired from their jobs. 22% would support firing a business executive who donates to Biden's campaign, and 31% support firing an executive who donates to Trump. And that figure rises to 50% among strong liberals, compared to just 36% of strong conservatives who favor firing Biden donors. So it's probably not paranoia when 32% of Americans say they're worried about losing their job or missing out on career opportunities if their political opinions get out. And that's fairly consistent. 31% of liberals, 30% of moderates, and 34% of conservatives. According to the report, quote, This suggests that it's not necessarily just one particular set of views that has moved outside of acceptable public discourse. Instead, these results are more consistent with a walking-on-eggshells thesis that people increasingly fear a wide range of political views could offend others or could negatively impact themselves. 
and that effect increases among educational levels, with 25% of those with a high school diploma or less worried about losing their jobs or missing out on opportunities, 28% of people with some college, 34% of people with a college degree, and 44% of those with a postgraduate degree. That is much greater among Republicans. Among Democrats, it's 23% high school or some college, 24% college degree, and 25% post-grad. But with Republicans, it's 27% high school, 26% some college, 40% college degree, and 60% post-grad. And there's a similar trend among independents. The report concludes, quote, Taking these results together indicates that a significant majority of Americans with diverse political views and backgrounds self-censor their political opinions. This large number from across demographic groups suggests withheld opinions may not simply be radical or fringe perspectives in the process of being socially marginalized. Instead, many of these opinions may be shared by a large number of people. Opinions so widely shared are likely shaping how many think about salient policy issues and ultimately impacting how they vote. But if people feel they cannot discuss these important policy matters, such views will not have an opportunity to be scrutinized, understood, or reformed. In a civilized society, everyone enjoys freedom of speech so that all opinions can be discussed, improved, or thrown out. In a decadent society, those with certain opinions are bullied into silence, and there's no way a civilization can survive unless that changes. are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit, and so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency, with no middleman taking a cut. Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now. If you're for some reason skeptical of the last story because it came from Cato, well, Politico has reported a similar effect. 46% of Americans, according to them, believe that cancel culture has gone too far, with about a quarter having no opinion or didn't know anything about it. Remove that quarter, and it's a clear majority, and like the Cato study, it's among almost every demographic category. When asked about its impact on society, 27% of voters said it has a positive impact, with 49% saying it had a negative impact. They found that it is absolutely more weighted to the left, with half of Democrats participating in cancel culture compared to a third of Republicans. Cancel culture is driven largely by voters 18 to 34, with 55% saying they've taken part in it. They've also found that the public at large is much more forgiving than the mobs on social media. They're the ones driving the narrative, but they do not represent the people. 
In fact, they found that 42% of Americans overall didn't know about several prominent examples of cancel culture in action, including James Bennett, Barry Weiss, Andrew Sullivan, and others, which prompted an open letter signed by dozens of journalists, writers, teachers, etc. It was far from a complaint by conservatives, in fact. It said, quote, the forces of illiberalism are gaining strength throughout the world and have a powerful ally in Donald Trump who represents a real threat to democracy. But resistance must not be allowed to harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion, which right-wing demagogues are already exploiting. The democratic inclusion we want can be achieved only if we speak out against the intolerant climate that is set in on all sides. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right, censoriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a blinding moral certainty. They also wrote, The restriction of debate whether by a repressive government or an intolerant society, invariably hurts those who lack power and makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. The way to defeat bad ideas is by exposure, argument, and persuasion, not by trying to silence or wish them away. We refuse any false choice between justice and freedom, which cannot exist without each other. But as they point out, the backlash to cancel culture is growing. Matt Tybee is a longtime award-winning writer for Rolling Stone whose reporting has taken him from Russia to Uzbekistan to Mongolia. He was highly skeptical of the Trump-Russia connection and wrote the article, Why Russiagate is This Generation's WMD. Politico quotes him saying, One of the reasons I took up the subject is that I have a lot of discussions with people who work in the media who in the last few months have said they are afraid to pitch a certain kind of story because they don't want it to get around that they're interested in a certain topic because they might end up on the radar of people in the union or those who are very politically engaged in the newsroom. For an example, he talked about a colleague who wanted to do a story about a small-town pharmacy that was ravaged by a mob in the wake of the George Floyd killing and how that resulted in the sick and the elderly being unable to fill their prescriptions. And he said, quote, And as soon as that mindset takes hold, what you get is a whole lot of people who are afraid to say anything that everyone else isn't already saying. And that's dangerous for our business. But still, it's disturbing that in the Politico poll, 53% agreed with the statement, quote, Even though free speech is protected, people should expect social consequences for expressing unpopular opinions in public, even those that are deeply offensive to other people. Only 31% agreed with the statement, There should not be social consequences for expressing unpopular opinions in public, even those that are deeply offensive to other people, because free speech is protected. If you don't have the freedom to offend, you don't have freedom, period. Virtue is only virtue in extremists. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? 
A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. As of this writing, gold is over $2,000 an ounce. This is something gold bugs have been talking about for a long time, especially since the financial crisis. All of the so-called stimulus money, along with quantitative easing and a $22 trillion deficit, causes them to chant like an economic Ned Stark, inflation is coming. We've discussed the reasons why it hasn't happened yet, but unless something changes, it's only a matter of time. Gold prices are seen as something of a canary in the coal mine. When they start to rise, that's an indication that the central bank is losing control of inflation. It's not only the unprecedented price of gold that's a concern, but the fact that none other than Goldman Sachs is sounding the alarm. Analysts in a research note wrote, Combined with a record level of debt accumulation by the U.S. government, real concerns about the longevity of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency have started to emerge. And as we've discussed, that could spell trouble. If banks, especially foreign banks and other investors, start getting rid of their dollar reserves in exchange for gold, then those dollars get into circulation. It's the circulation of the dollars, not their mere existence, that drives inflation. And when inflation happens, more confidence in the dollar is lost. And that incentivizes banks to divest even more of their dollar reserves. When that divestment itself drives the effect, that's when hyperinflation occurs. And with the dollar being the reserve currency of the world, there are a lot of dollars sitting around in vaults that could cause massive inflation if they got into circulation. Gold, on the other hand, is limited in supply, and worldwide it's used not only as the number two reserve currency, but also as a hedge against inflation. And according to Goldman Sachs' forecast, it could reach 2300 over the next year. They wrote, we have long maintained gold is the currency of last resort, particularly in an environment like the current one, where governments are debasing their fiat currencies and pushing real interest rates to all-time lows. We see inflationary concerns continuing to rise well into the economic recovery, sustaining hedging inflows into gold ETFs alongside the structural weakening of the dollar. We see gold being used as a dollar hedge by fund managers. Meanwhile, Trump has nominated Judy Shelton for a seat in the Federal Reserve Board. Democrats in the Senate, and even some Republicans, are opposing her. And I mean, let's be honest, that's largely because Trump nominated her, but also because she's an outspoken critic of the Fed and a believer in the gold standard, and has called for a return to a Bretton Woods-style conference. In particular, Republican Senator Susan Collins opposes her because, quote, this is not the right signal to send, particularly in the midst of the pandemic. But what's the right signal? Business as usual from a Federal Reserve that has repeatedly failed in the very function it was created to serve? Goldman Sachs also increased their forecast for silver to $30 per ounce. 
They fear continued rising prices and uncontrollable inflation if the Fed keeps insisting on pushing interest rates to the floor. They wrote, The resulting expanded balance sheets and vast money creation spurs debasement fears which, in turn, create a greater likelihood that at some time in the future, after economic activity is normalized, there will be incentives for central banks and governments to allow inflation to drift higher and reduce the accumulated debt burden. As always, diversify your portfolio and be ready for anything. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to aerate this week's biggest bogunimeter. And this week it goes to Trump's State Department for the idiotic move of not only banning TikTok, but really trying to ban all of China and everyone associated with China, which they not only have no legal way of doing, they also have no technical way of doing. The beauty of the internet is that it's supposed to be open. From day one, we've had governments trying to undermine it, and some, such as China and Russia in large part, succeeded, at least on their own turf. This administration appears to want to do the same thing. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has announced a completely vague program full of promises to fragment the internet and block large portions of it. He calls it the Clean Network to Safeguard America, which is a really dumb name that doesn't even have the excuse of making a stupid acronym. The first point is Clean Carrier, to make sure that China's internet carriers aren't connected with U.S. telecoms, in a massive display of ignorance as to how internet routing works. Even if this could be done, the packets will just pick a different route through third-party countries. There's Clean Store to remove untrusted applications from mobile app stores, raising the big question, trusted by whom? Are you going to have to get special government permission to be a software developer now? Clean Apps. Basically, smartphone manufacturers cannot pre-install apps or even make them available for download. Clean Cloud. Americans will be prohibited from storing data on cloud-based systems accessible by foreign adversaries, including, and they say this specifically, COVID-19 vaccine research. We've talked about this before. What is it they're so concerned about? And finally, Clean Cable, which is somehow going to secure the numerous undersea cables that manage pretty much all of our international traffic. Satellites do relatively little of it. 
They, like every other idiot who talks about this, keeps mentioning Huawei. I can't help again but notice two things. One, there's still no actual evidence of wrongdoing by Huawei, and the attack is still purely theoretical. And two, are they still not concerned about the intel backdoor? I mean, no concern about what we know the NSA has been doing? In fact, is there anything in their list of complaints against China that the U.S. government isn't doing already? And like I said in a recent video, all this does is give China ammunition to say their accusations about the U.S. are correct. It just gives them more ammunition to use, while potentially gutting everything that makes the Internet so great. And what is this going to do to people who already use TikTok and WeChat to communicate with each other? Lots of Chinese Americans use WeChat to talk to family back home. Are they just going to be cut off? Trump's trade war has already hit the tech industry pretty hard. What's this going to do to American industries that depend on parts made in Chinese factories? Anyone who's read iPencil will know that this could hit firms in all sorts of unpredictable ways, as even the business owner himself can't possibly know the origin of every single bit that goes into his product. Even if he avoids buying parts directly from China, who's to say those parts themselves weren't made with other parts from China, or made using tools and equipment that were made in China, or that rely indirectly on all sorts of things from China and other countries? The economy is global. There's no extricating any part of it. At best, this is election year posturing. At worst, it's economy-destroying ignorance at a time when we're already hurting. It may be the same type of ignorance we've come to expect from the Trump administration, but the magnitude is way bigger. Which is how they got this week's Biggest Bogani Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmoo, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmoo dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's denudate this week's... Idiot Sometimes I really wonder what century we're living in. After decades of progress made by real feminists, third-wave feminism seems to want women subjected to the same oppressions of old in the name of fighting toxic masculinity. Case in point, their latest crusade against bikinis. But this is a problem that is still going on, though, as this week's recipient shows. Police in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, actually arrested a woman, and not for the first time, for nothing more than wearing a thong bikini. Police during the 20-minute-long ordeal cited the local ordinance making it, quote, unlawful for any person to appear in the nude 
on any public beach. The woman, Sam Panda, tweeted, A woman called the cops on me because of my bikini. That's how this all started. Some Karen decided that my body was so offensive to her and showed her child that her body could one day lead to her arrest. Her body could be the reason a grown-ass man violates her. Her body is wrong. You're gonna love this bit, though. The officer who arrested her is named Kyle Dick. Sometimes they just write themselves. There's nothing in the law whatsoever about thongs. The law just says, quote, a state of dress or undress so as to expose the view of other specified anatomical areas. A different part of the law specifies what that means, quote, human male or female genitals, pubic area, pubic hair, buttocks, anus, vulva, or any portion of the female breast at or below the areola thereof. Even if you were to claim that what a thong exposes counts as buttocks, if that were the case, you'd have to arrest about a third of the women at the beach, much less during locally sanctioned events like the Sun Fun Festival Bikini Contest. Panda is an aerial acrobat who made international news after breaking her neck in a 13-foot fall back in 2017 in Bali when a rig malfunctioned. It was a horrific accident which surgeons feared could leave her permanently disabled, but she recovered admirably. Of the arrest, she wrote, You have allowed a 105-pound woman to get rushed, aggressively grabbed, manhandled, and cuffed. You allowed two women to be slut-shamed publicly on a beach for their bathing suits. And worst of all, you showed your daughter that her body is something she should be ashamed of and could be detained for. You showed her that a man can harm a woman over the way her body is viewed by other people. And the feminists are silent. The silly thing is, for thousands of years, people regularly swam in the nude, and no one thought anything of it. This latest prudism is just the result of the last couple of centuries. But then, British delicacy led to special walled-in places where women could enter the water in private, and bathing suits came soon after. Originally, they were heavy and made of flannel, and were more about fashion than being able to actually swim in them. As the Victorian era progressed, they became even more elaborate, with skirts that actually had weighted hems to keep them from floating up to the surface. Then feminists started challenging the modesty rules in the 20th century, less than a hundred years after they were imposed. The Newsweek article I'm linking to mentioned silent film star Annette Kellerman, who popularized the one-piece swimsuit, a more practical form-fitting suit for which she was arrested wearing in Massachusetts. Kellerman wrote in 1918, The bathing girl of our popular beaches only a few seasons ago wore shoes, stockings and bloomers, skirts, corsets, and a dinky little cap. All she needed was a pair of rubbers and an umbrella, and she could have gone anywhere in any weather. Not only in matters of swimming, but in all forms of activity, woman's natural development is seriously restricted and impaired by social customs and costumes and all sorts of pro-prudish and puritanical ideas. The girl child, long before she is conscious of her sex, is continually reminded that she is a girl and therefore must forego many childhood activities. From there, it was a long-fought and hard-won battle towards two-piece suits, bikinis, all the way to modern swimwear. Along the way, arrests, including mass arrests of dozens of women at a time, made national headlines. 
And it gets even dumber. In 2016, French police arrested a Muslim woman in Nice for wearing a headscarf on a beach, saying that covering up was provocative. So, take it off, get arrested, put it on, get arrested? Those bans, by the way, have been overturned by a French court, but you see the issue. It's a completely subjective thing that says a lot more about the viewer than the subject. And people wonder why I say the third-wave feminists are merely modern-day Calvinists in disguise. So all of that makes the Myrtle Beach Police this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this... We're diversified. Diversification. We're exploring new and exciting areas of crime. And we better, because there are Japanese gangs who will do it faster and cheaper. Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please keep this podcast going by subscribing and supporting in one of several different ways you can find at donate.bogosity.tv, including PayPal, cryptocurrency, or subscribing at Patreon or Subscribestar to listen early and ad-free. Also, please come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from George Bernard Shaw. All censorships exist to prevent anyone from challenging current conceptions and existing institutions. All progress is initiated by challenging current conceptions and executed by supplanting existing institutions. Consequently, the first condition of progress is the removal of censorship. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins.